And we're off. First show of the year, ladies and gents. And we're talking to a certified financial planner. Time to get your stuff in order. So let's get this show on the road. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their story. Whoops. That ended quickly. All right. Oh, man. We're starting the new year off right. <laughs> That's how it works, right, business bros? You guys know how it goes. We've been doing this for a long time. All right, ladies and gents, I got Steve LeClaire here. He's a certified financial planner, and we're going to get talking about what it takes for you to get your stuff in order. That's just how we do. Steve, welcome to the program, man. Oh, man, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for letting me join you. All right, dude. So let's just start off with right off the bat. When people talk about money, they always think about the success level. Uh, what is your idea of success? What, is, what does success look like for you and how are you helping your clients achieve that? I think success is living life with a purpose. You, you gotta, we all have to stand for something. And I always say we can't stand for 10 things. We can't stand for four things. We can only stand for one thing. And for me, it's living that life with purpose. And when it comes to money, money for most people, it's about taking care of the people that you love the most. Mm. And so while everybody wants to put a number out there and they say that that's success, the reality is if you can take care of your loved ones, if you're living within your means and if your life is sustainable, that's a success. And so for some people, that's got to be a big pile of money. But for others, you know, it can be pretty modest. So it's it's really that's an independent question. It, it goes to your life of a purpose. Uh, let, let's let's hit a little bit on the different methodologies that are out there. So very first book I ever read when I got into the the business mindset was was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad, uh, and he really uh, harps on using debt, good debt, bad debt, using good debt to to kind of catapult you as an investor. And then you got the other side, the other camp. You got the Dave Ramseys of the world, and they're like debt, no matter what it is, is bad. Deal with all your stuff in cash uh where do you sit on that and and uh when you talk to your clients which one do you tend to recommend or is it a mixture of both actually that's an excellent uh question and it really comes down to the best financial reasons and the best psychological reasons and with everybody you've got this little scale inside you and only you can balance it and so a financial advisor a wealth manager what our job is is we're here to give you both sides of the story Here's the advantages and the disadvantages of using debt and not using debt. And we're at this point in time where we're at, at all-time lows on interest rates. So from a financial reason, most debts, when we're talking about good debts, should you, should you buy a house? Should you refinance your mortgage? Should you extend the length of time? We're looking at interest rates that are less than 3%. Now, historically, keeping your money invested, financial markets have done better. Now, there's no guarantees that this is going to last in the future, but in the term of finance, it's called arbitrage. So the real simple lesson for all the listeners out there, if you're paying 3% on your debt and say you're making 7% on, on your investments, then you keep that 4% spread. That's the arbitrage. So at this point in time, by keeping the debts outstanding, you should be better off in the long run. Now, for some people, though, this is this is where the psychological components come in, especially when you're starting to look at something like your house and mortgages. The a mortgage is typically that's the biggest financial burden that we have on our shoulders. Mm -hmm. And so if you have that debt and that debt does not allow you to sleep at night, it doesn't matter what the mathematics are behind it. You just can't stand it. 
And so in those circumstances, it makes sense to pay it off. Oh, dude. When I talk to people about retirement, it's so funny. I I teach a class called Financial Algebra. 17-year-old kids getting ready to hit the world, trying to get them in a position where they can think of money or their life or their career in a little bit of a different mindset, right? Give them something that school normally didn't uh, talk about. And when we get into the section when we talk about retirement, I try to really emphasize that retirement is not an age problem. It's a cash flow problem. As That's soon as correct. you have the cash flow to cover your expenses, then you're set. You're, you've bought yourself time, which is what we're exchanging right now for money for the most part when you get out of high school and you get your job. Uh, speaking of which, you could have become a CFP and done your own thing, got into a firm. You chose to go on your own and take the entrepreneur route. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into that space? And then uh, and then I guess we'll dive back into the uh, age. Is not, age. It's not an age problem. It's a, it's a cash flow problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I didn't intend on being in the wealth management industry or financial advisor. It was actually just something that accidentally happened to me along the uh, timeline of life. And so when I went to college, I wanted to be a doctor. And so for those four years, my intention was go to medical school. And so I studied kinesiology and human physiology. I happened to have minored in economics, but that was just simply because I took one economics course and I liked it. So I wanted to take some more just to learn some more. Little did I know that it was the economics course that would be my future career versus the uh, the science courses. But post-school, I didn't get into medical school first round, and so I had to get a job. And so my first job out of, out of college was selling telephone service for a startup telephone company. And so this was like during the dot-com era, everything was booming. And so what I did was I walked door-to-door to businesses, and I sold them phone service, and I sold them DSL service. And you know what? I didn't realize this at the time, but I was good at cold calling. And now here's here's the other thing that I, I really learned, and I think this is a lesson for, for all of us. I was good at it because it was a bubble. Mm. So everybody was successful at that point in time. And next thing you know, bubbles burst. And you know what? I was out of a job just like everybody else around oh, me. Steve, man, and- you, you aged yourself real quick, dude. You were talking about uh, selling DSL. For, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who aren't DSL. old enough to understand, the internet hasn't been around forever. So it used to be a dial-up system, and then DSL and uh, cable internet came out, and that was the era of the beginning of high-speed internet. So what he's talking about this easy sale is like, would you like your internet to go faster? Yes, that was the easiest sale you could possibly make. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're so right because that was the uh, breakthrough technology at the time. I mean, it's it's funny just to think about it and where we are today. But one of the things those telecommunications companies they paid me in was stock options, mm. and so there I am. I'm in my mid twenties, and you know what? I was one of the kids that you'd read about on Money Magazine who was a millionaire on paper, and and so I had millions of dollars worth of these options. But here's the funny side of the story: I never recognized one dollar out of those options because those companies all went broke and those options went to zero and so there i am i'm in my mid-20s i'm without a job and it was this this experience through those options i was like you know i think i need to kind of figure out this finance stuff and that's where the light bulb went off in my head i was like you know what i think people they go and they work for these companies they get these benefits packages they don't know what any of these options are and then when it comes to something like retirement they wake up 30 40 years later and they hope they selected the right options. So I, I decided, I was like, you know, there needs to be programs. And it sounds like what, what you do with, with the kids. There needs to be programs for adults where you have some type of financial literacy 
on what's retirement, what's your benefits package, and how do you take your benefits package and turn that on into your own personal financial plan? So I started cold calling the uh, financial services firms and UBS Payne Weber, I pitched them on this idea. They never had see, even seen me. They actually hired me just on that idea. And so next thing I knew, I was swept up into one of the, these big, massive corporations and I was working on this idea. So doing what I learned in technology and, and telecommunications, I started calling on companies to sell them on doing financial planning and financial services for their employees. And, you know, I, I learned really early on, you can call the biggest company in the world and you can call the smallest company in the world and they both can tell you no at the same speed. <laughs> so I started, so I literally started calling all the biggest companies in the country. And you know what? In the first year, General Electric, they were the very first company that took me up on it. One of the biggest companies in the world said, that's an awesome idea. So for the next 10 years, I traveled and I, teach, I, I taught financial education to GE employees across the country. It was just an awesome experience. So that's how I got into the wealth management industry. Well, okay, when I talk to 17-year-old kids, see, when I talk to the parents of the 17-year-old kids, they're like, God, I wish I had a class like that in high school. I would have been so far yeah. ahead, right? But I, I try to get them to understand. I go, yeah, but you got you to gotta realize a 17-year-old kid, they haven't reached that level in their mind of what the real world looks like. They're still they're still worried about that girl looking at them, the type of shoes <laughs> they wear, right? Yeah, bell's gonna right. ring. That's what they're focused on. When you're talking to some of these young adults that are just getting into business, how much of them are even thinking about it? I mean, you said something, you kind of grazed over it, but you're like, you know, you 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 put together a plan and you wake up 20, 30 years later hoping you made the right choice. So when you talk to these employees and you're trying to get them in a position where like, dude, this is your money. This is your yeah. future. How much, how, how important is it? How many of them are like, yeah, dude, we'll talk later. Yeah, we'll talk later. Yeah, we'll talk later. And later never comes. No, later, later doesn't come. And, and actually, one of those great experiences from that was you, it doesn't really matter what somebody's education is, where their background is, socioeconomic status. People either get it or they don't. I mean, it, you really can separate it that way. I've been in front of corporate executives where their compensation packages, if I told you what it was, it would make you blush. It's so much money, it would make you blush. But I'll be honest with you too. I've seen some of those people who are one paycheck away from the bankruptcy courts. And then I've seen other people in the most modest jobs out there and they sit down with you and they start opening up these file folders and you're like, Oh my God, where did all this come from? I mean, they, they've saved every nickel in their, in their life. And it's just, it's, it's mind numbing. It's absolutely mind numbing. So I, I call those, they're the financial hoarders. Oh, man. They, they've never seen like an investment. They couldn't put their money in and then hold it forever. Oh. But it's just, it's, it's just absolutely mind. You're, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. So my background is in taxes and accounting. Um, I, I failed at my first business. And as I was failing, I realized who's uncle Sam, why am I paying him these yeah. things? All, you know, and then, I, and then I enrolled in tax school and I went back to school, got my degree in accounting for the same reason. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I need to figure this out. I started doing tax returns and I had a very similar experience that, that, that you're describing here. People who are making quarter million dollars a year living paycheck to paycheck and people making $50,000 a year living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, they drive different kind of cars, mm -hmm. but they're one month away from going broke, just like yeah. you're describing. Uh, and then and and then the guy that walks in that you would never give a second glance, clothes dirty, you know, whatever. And that guy is stacked. 
like, Stacked, what, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, okay. So, so when you, when you talk to these people, when you're sitting down and having a conversation with them, I mean, it's the beginning of the year right now. So you're about to hit tax season. Mm-hmm. You're about to get everybody who should have been working with you in November, but they don't wait until they're, pro, they're reactive, not proactive. When you sit down and talk to them about getting things squared away to move forward, I mean, are are you are you giving them that squirrel mentality, like the like winners come in, or are we are we forward thinking in the planning when you're sitting down to talk to them? Yeah, I, I love that question. So whether you're you're looking at a family of of modest means or you're looking at the ultra high net worth and and these extremely successful entrepreneurs, the one thing that everybody has to have, you have to have a clear vision of what you want to be. You have to have a clear vision of where you want to go. And then once you have that vision, you always have to be taking the action steps to get there. And as you're taking those action steps, this is truly now the big difference between those who have and those who have not. And it's interesting because we're in this this part of society where the media and the government tells you who has and who hasn't. But I'll tell you just knowing what people's finances look like, everything that that, that, um, those those people are advertised as, the haves and haves nots, are not who you think they are. Mm-hmm. They absolutely aren't. But here's the big separation. It's stress testing. So those who are successful are always looking for gaps in their plan. They're always trying to identify those gaps and they're always trying to find ways to fill those in order to do better. So they're they're actually questioning. They're always contrarian to themselves. What am I missing here? What could go wrong? And, and so it's not just like on investment side, but they're looking at this for their legal structures personally, businesses, they're looking at this on their insurances, you know, property casually, it could be life, it could be be health, but they're constantly going back and they're looking for gaps and trying to say, how can I, how can I make improvements? And when something goes wrong, they always have a plan for stepping in. I think they're also, it's it's the habits that they have, right? They're also looking at certain things. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I've had to sit down and go through people's books. I mean, go through statement line after line after line and start recreating PL statements because they didn't have any, they didn't, for whatever reason. Right. And nothing tells you more about somebody's personality than what they spend their money on. When you're going through line by line, all of a sudden, whatever you saw on Instagram or Facebook and what you see in their their bank statements, completely different ballgame. All right, we're in January right now, 2021. Everybody, you either had a great 2020 or you had a shit year. One of those two options. Yeah, there was was no separation. There was no middle middle ground. It was just one or the other. One or the other. What what should we be doing uh, in 2021 right now and getting ready to file tax season, getting ready to, to take on 21? Assuming we want to have a successful 2021, what are some of those key things that we could be doing to, to prepare? I think last year, 2020 was a real big separation of people as well, too, is how they respond to financial markets. And so this, this is a hindsight statement now, and, and you can just take it for what it's worth. But as the financial markets melted down in March, they were an opportunity of a lifetime. But there was a lot of people who looked at it from that contrarian point of view, and they have that point of view that it's all going away. I always happen to be that optimist. I think when somebody gets a bite of the apple, they want a second bite of the apple. So whenever I hear that markets are going to zero, everything's going to go bankrupt, I just don't believe in it. That's not my personality type. So looking at just these behaviors from 2020 and coming into 2021, whether we agreed with it or not, it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. We spent $7 trillion as a country right now, and we're going to have to pay for this stuff somehow. 
And so becoming tax aware within your investments, becoming tax aware within your incomes and your businesses, I think is vitally important. I don't think that tax policy is going to change in 2021, but I do think it's going to start to change in 2022 and 2023. So you need to stick, take a strong look and a strong assessment on how you're positioned and not how you avoid taxes, but it's how you mitigate taxes. So we're all obligated to pay taxes, but you're not obligated to pay more than your fair share. So what can you do to get to mitigate your future tax? All right. Timing markets. Uh, I mean, you, yeah. you said something in March, we hit, a, we hit a huge low, which is, uh, you know, once in a lifetime. And I hear that sentiment over and over again, yet I remember being around in 2007, that was another <laughs> once in a lifetime low. Right. So, yeah. and, and I, you know, my brother's into option trading. So I understand mm -hmm. that the volatility of the market, uh, has a great impact in your portfolio. If you're about to hit that retirement st that retirement age. And let's face it, those baby boomers, they're not getting any younger. We're hitting, you know, 10,000 people a day are turning 65, if not older, every single day for the next like 10 years or more. So we're hitting people that are that are aging into, a, into retirement. We're hitting people that are going to be uh, taking mass amounts of money out of the market. What do you think, how, how, what kind of effect is that going to have on top of regular cyclical things or pandemic type things? Uh, you're muted. You're muted. Nope. You're uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, check the screen on the bottom under your little picture. There should be a little mute button. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. No worries. So, well, actually, I want to step back before I answer fully with that question is, is in March, there was another event that occurred and somehow this just got brushed over from all, all of the, the financial media. So it's true. Markets were off. Markets were off somewhere between 30 to 40% on the equity side. On the bond side, bond prices had never been so high. We hit all time highs in bond prices. So going back to like financial advisory and investing 101, what are you supposed to do? Sell high, buy low. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with those boomers and with those retirees, whether they were in retirement or near retirement, they should have had a hefty bond portfolio and they never had a better time in history to go ahead and reallocate that portfolio. Mm -hmm. And also the tax positioning that you could have taken, you, you could take advantage of that time. That was huge, was absolutely huge. And, and so that's where, where I, I take some of the stuff like with a grain of salt, I'm like, yeah, you know, but you, you had the opportunity. What about the stuff that hit an all-time high? How how did we never bring that into to our vocabulary, into the language, and the conversation? And and so so it did exist. Now you know going forward is, and and looking at just the equity markets, we've been talking about. There was actually an author in, in 2000, and his name was Harry Dent, and he was talking about the great wave ahead. And and essentially what he said was all the baby boomers that are going to retire, they're going to take their monies out of the markets. So the markets were going to hit all time highs, and then psh, we're going to go back to to low. We've never seen it. Mm. We've never seen it. And especially because the largest demographic within our, our society is this Generation Z. So it's no longer the millennials, Generation Z. So we, we just, we have a, a tremendous opportunity just as far as population growth goes. And, and again, I'm just a, a pure believer of, you know, once you get that bite of the apple, you want to suck and buy the apple. Now here's one, one little like stupid factoid. My, we, we can call these the Steve stupid facts. If you look at the total number of public securities over the last 20 years, 
there's there's uh, about 30% less securities in the public markets. So companies have been bought, taken private, or not going public as well too. So all these statistics that we hear about with the public markets, valuations have never been so high. You know, um, uh, there's there's just more people chasing fewer things. The reality is, is there's just not a lot to buy. There's not a lot to buy. There's there's not huge incentives for a company to go public like there was in the past. And so so with that, that changes some of the dynamics. It's going to be harder for like the average investor then because yes, you you do have to have a high net worth to invest in these private companies. They're just not available because there's regulations. There's actually there's actual government regulations that prohibit the average person from investing in these private deals. Yeah, you got to be an accredited investor is what you're talking about, right? That's correct. So uh, just to clarify, can you help people understand what an accredited investor is? Why can't I take advantage of IPOs? Why can't I take risks in some of these uh, these companies that I think are going to boom? Yeah. So so depending on the registration type, and I won't go too far into it, basically there's two numbers that you need to know. There's $1 million and there's $5 million. And based on the registration, you either have to have a, a proven net worth of $1 million, and that's, that's liquid net worth. So real estate doesn't count um, with that. Or it's five hundred thousand. Now, at the million dollars, you basically there's there's a, a bypass rule too. You can have an income, and I believe the income's of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, but it has to be a documented income of, of so many years. But when it comes to these these private registrations and these these private investment deals, the the founders, the the um, the original company members, they don't want to deal with smaller investors either. They they don't want to have a hundred investors. They want to have two investors. So they want, want fewer hands in the pot. That totally makes sense too. I mean, think about it from uh, from a shark tank perspective, which is really what we're, what they're doing. Yeah. There's a different type of company. You don't want to give up as much as you possibly can to, to different controlling interests because every time you have money coming in, what, it, what people fail to understand, they, it sounds really cool, right? I have a yeah. company, I'm going to get funding. It sounds really awesome, except you're, what you have to give up. It, the funding doesn't come for free. You're giving things no. up. And as a, and, and what you're talking about here is, is in a portfolio, in, in somebody's investment portfolio, they're attaining these stocks from these different equity groups. You just can't go into these other types of things. Okay, so let's let's move into what kind of good stuff should we, what kind of plan should we be looking into? Because you always hear everything from index universal life to whole life to an IRA to a Roth IRA to a 401k. Um, help people understand the difference between them and, uh, and, and where should we be placing something? Like what's a good strategy or plan to kind of utilize one or the other? Okay. Actually, great questions. Let's just look at somebody who's working today. So, so basically as a financial advisor, wealth manager, what should they talk to that client about? The first thing is you need to have enough savings and emergency savings that if you do lose your job or something goes wrong, you're, you're liquid and you're going to be able to get past that time period. So the rule of thumb you hear from most financial advisors is you need to have six months worth of cash that's in the bank account. And once you get that, your next step is it's short term goals. So if you're saving for a house, it's down payments, you know, kids, college education, something like that. Third, we move into retirement savings. So if you're part of a company, what we want to see you do is we want to see you maximize the retirement benefits with with your company. Because if there's matching dollars on the table, if you're not taking those matching dollars, that's your compensation, that's your salary. And you're just, you're leaving it there. You're, you're leaving it for somebody else. 
And so make sure that you're taking advantage of it. So it's not until you have the emergency savings, you funded your short-term goals, you're maximizing your, your company's retirement plan for the match, do we start talking about those additional accounts. And so with the, the company 401k plan, so you get matched on 6%, so you put 6% in. You might still have more dollars that you can physically put in there, but is it a good idea or should you look elsewhere? Well, one, it's gonna come down to your tax status, but then two, it's gonna come down to your financial investing options. So you may wanna invest in an IRA or a Roth IRA, just simply because it's got more options than inside your, your 401k plan. But whenever you're doing that, you also have to look at the fees and the expenses. Now, a couple of things that you'd mentioned there is, is looking at uh, something like, like life insurance policies and, and um, should, should we make invest in, in use of the equity um, universal life index universal life policies or whole life policies. My personal opinion on life insurance is I think that it's here for two reasons. It's either to create an estate or it's to preserve an estate. And so for most people in life, it's the creation of the estate. And here's what I mean by that. Let's say that you're 30, you have your first child. It's usually at that point in time that your debts are going to be the highest. And so essentially you want to go out there and you want to buy a 20 to a 30 year term policy, because if you die, it's to replace the income that you would have brought into the household during that time period. Mm -hmm. But after 20 to 30 years, for most people that that insurable interest, it starts to go away. Because when your kids are in their 30s, why are you trying to have a big insurance policy for them? Because, you know, their life's not going to be as disrupted financially if you have a premature death. On, on the other side, the preservation of an estate, and this, this is where tax policy changes this over time. If you a married couple, if they have an estate and it's over $23 million today, for every dollar over that, say half of it goes away in what we call the estate tax or the death tax. And so life insurance is used to pay the tax. It's, it's trying, to, trying to preserve the estate for the heirs. Now, that's a moving target. 20 years ago, it wasn't $23 million. It was a million dollars. 30 years ago, I think it was $600,000. Now, we have what are called sunset provisions in all of our tax laws. And in 2025, that current limit that I talk about for a married couple of about $23 million, it goes away and it reverts back to $5 million. So for a lot of families who've done very well, say they're five to $10 million, we haven't bought life insurance policies for them for death taxes because they weren't subjected to it. But you know, if the law reverts, then we may need it. And so that's, that's my personal point of view on, on life insurance. It's the creation of the estate, it's for young families, it's for the replacement of the income that would be lost in a premature death, or it's for some of those wealthy families that are trying to save themselves from these estate taxes. So in other words, time your death, make time sure you're before 2025 <laughs> and you're, if you're, if you're over the 23 or you know, close to that 23 million market. All right. So we, we covered a little bit about the, the uh, employee putting stuff away, right? And you, yes. you talk about company matching. Now, if, what if you're self-employed? What if you're a real estate agent, insurance agent? What if you're, you know, you have your own uh, small business, whatever that, you know, whatever type of business that may be. Can I still take advantage of some of these plans where normally I'm like in an IRA, Roth IRA, I'm still capped, uh, but can I put more into some of these other plans and kind of put that money to work? Yeah, yeah. Actually, you're asking great questions because this is funny. We, we just came out of the political season and you watch all the, the political posturing on both sides on how they're going to tax. For business owners and for the self-employed, eliminating income, getting income into retirement plans, not paying income taxes. If taxes go up, there's lots of things business owners can do. 
On the other hand, W2 employees, you go and you work for somebody, there's very few things that you can do. So, so for example, is if you didn't contribute to your, your company's 401k plan last year, there's no makeup provision. You can't magically go and put money into it. On the other hand, for business owners, can you start up a retirement plan and still fund it for the year 2020? And the answer is yes. There's, there's different, what are called solo 401ks. There's, there's set by arrays and they can fund these all the way until October 15th. And so the funny thing is like, people always ask me like, oh, what are the current limits, you know, for, for retirement plans? I'm usually one year behind because I'm working on those October 15th numbers. So, so for example, I'm just now switching over to 2020 in my mind for, for contribution limits because I just finished 2019. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'll just real quick, there's, there's a type of retirement plan for a business owner where the limits on it this year for that they can put away for the retirement, it's $399,500. Whoa. $399,500. Yes. What, I've never heard of that. What, yes. what, are you, what, what are you describing there? It's a cash balance pension plan coordinated with a safe harbor 401k and a profit sharing. Add those three together in the right circumstance. It's, it, that's approximately a 70 year old. It's $399,500. Tax deferred? Tax deferred. Yeah. Dude, that's power. That's power. You see, it's huge. It's huge. And but see, ladies and gents, I mean, this is why you want to work with a professional. This is exactly why it, you just came. If you just came out of 2020 and you had a phenomenal year, and you have you're you're flush with cash, and you're now sitting and thinking, oh oh. Where's my tax bill going to go? How's this going to hurt? This is why working with a financial planner, with somebody who's certified, who has years of experience, this is what they do. This is how they help you. Your, you, your job is to make the money in whatever field you're in. That's your job. Your sole focus. Your team is there to help you situate everything else. You don't have to become an expert in taxes. You don't have to become an expert in any of these types of plans. You look for somebody like Steve to help you out. So Steve, in that case, I want to make sure that everybody who's uh, who's been listening, who's uh, learned a little something, how can they get a hold of you and make sure you say it so that my listening audience can hear you in case they're not watching this live. Yes. My LinkedIn is Steve LeClaire. It's LeClaire's L-E-C-L-A-I-R. And my website is LeClaireWealthManagement.com. Awesome, man. Hey, I want to thank you for taking time to come on the show today. Uh, Great conversation. uh, So much information. and, And like anything else, we just scraped the surface, man. We just barely touched on so much that's that's out there and available. Uh, so thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you. I loved it. It was a great I, time. You know what? Let me ask you real quick. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how many podcasts you've done. I'm sure you've done quite a few. What was your experience like being on the Business Bros? Oh, man. I absolutely loved it. The energy that you bring to the show is just absolutely incredible. It's just, it, it, it's so much fun. So in a podcast, as you know, you get on there sometimes and you have a guest and you're asking a question and they're just like, yes. And it's hard. Like you're, you're trying to pull stuff out of them. You're like, please, please give me something. Give me something more. Ask you an open-ended question. You know, like, please. <laughs> Dude, it, it, it's funny. I, 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 I've seen it. I've, I've been there myself. You know, you get a guest on the show. You're like, oh my God, uh, he's going to be working on, on wealth stuff. And then you kind of like, what's my notes? <laughs> what's the next <laughs> question I'm going to ask? <laughs> from the response, you're like, I can't even think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, dude, I, like I said, man, you made it fun. You made it easy. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Hey, I would love to have you on my show. And I especially would love to talk to you about that financial literacy for the 17-year-olds. Because yeah. I think it's a huge miss that we have in our society. Everybody's in charge of their finances. 
and literally our educational system doesn't teach kids about this stuff at all. Skip that box. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need that one. We don't need that one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Until you're out there 30 years later and you're like, damn it. I wish somebody would have taught me this stuff. (laughs) Exactly. So if you won't mind, I'll I'll send you a link. And if there's a date in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Love to reverse the role. I'd love to. I'd love to. All right, ladies and gents. Hope you enjoy. Look, 2020 is here. It's time to get going. Uh, and, and like Steve said, look, if, if you're talking about investing in stuff, you still got time to do stuff for 2020, not 2021. Remember, we filed our tax returns for the previous year. So you still got time. He's talking about October 15th. That's because you can use an extension. So if you need to talk to a tax preparer, you need to talk to a certified financial planner, you need to get your ducks in a row. Make sure you guys check out Steve. Uh, once again, at Steve LeClaire on LinkedIn and LeClaireWealthManagement.com. That's all we got for you guys today. Peace. And we're out. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the Business Bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the Insurance Bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.